following episode of the Comics and Crypto podcast is for informational purposes only, and anything expressed by the hosts or their guests is solely their opinion. This podcast does not constitute financial advice, and anyone wishing to invest should seek their own independent financial or professional help. Have fun, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sean O'Hare, and I know comics. Hi, I'm Spencer Vogel, and I know crypto. Hi, I'm Kevin Lee Loader, and I don't know sh- This is the Comics and Crypto Podcast. Comics and Crypto Ash, hey! Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, good afternoon. How are you? What's going on? Nice to see you guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I've been really excited to talk to you. And congratulations. So you, you just started working with Golden Auctions. Yeah, back in September. Yeah, they nice. uh, acquired our company. And my former business partner, Sean Goodrich, and I are now running the comics vertical for, for Golden. That's amazing. What, what was your what was your previous business that got acquired? Uh, it was called sellmycomicbooks.com. Uh, essentially, what it was was a marketing well still is that because they they own it now but it was is a marketing uh content marketing site so it it creates leads for people who are interested in in either selling or or at least getting their comic books valued and so the stuff that we we want to acquire we make offers on and now we have golden uh, we can also offer consignment so that is a big difference maker for us. That's incredible. And you've been involved in the comic book market for quite some time? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been interested in comic books since I was a kid, but uh, I started the business in 2012. One of the things that I realized when I was researching the market was that dealers had been doing business the same way for a really long time. They were behaving as if the internet didn't exist. Um, the, the really advanced ones were listing stuff on eBay. I knew that I was I was into a, a market that was underdeveloped from a technology standpoint, because when you go to a dealer that did have a website and not all of them did, and they would they would be smart enough to link to their eBay listings, they didn't even have the savvy to use a an affiliate link to link to their eBay listings. So when whoever landed on their site and clicks on go see my eBay listing, they didn't know that you could get commission as well if someone buys something by following your your links. Simple as that. Like that simple thing, like maybe realize, wow, okay, I've got a big advantage here. I don't know how long that advantage is going to last for, but I'm going to make the most of it. And so we started off by offering free appraisals. And we were doing that. We were the only ones who's didn't set up at shows, we just were purely online. And so now if you go to Google and search for free comic appraisal, you'll find there are a bunch of people doing the same thing, but we were the first. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love that you brought that up, the importance of accessibility. That's something I'm definitely going to dive into a little bit later. But before we do that, I want to get more of your background in comic books. I know that you mentioned that you were a collector as a kid, it's very much similar to myself, but do you consider yourself an investor in this space now? More, more of an investor than a collector or kind of a combination of the both? Wow. Um, during the pandemic, I became an investor. Um, but you know, even then I, I, I checked off a, a bunch of my of my grail boxes, you know. So it was it wasn't just a question of what's gonna go up in value. I mean, I spend my whole working day doing that. So it, it, as a distraction from the pandemic, that wasn't a very good one. So, for example, like I, I always loved Fantastic Four. It was the first comic books I ever read as a kid. And so I just wanted to get a run of Fantastic Four in high grade. So I started putting that together. Um, my number one was a 5.5. Five. 
And the problem, the problem with having a hobby that's also your business is it's hard to separate the two. <laughs> so uh, at the same time as I was doing that, I was thinking to myself, watching the prices go up, going up and thinking to myself, wow, I should cash out because you know, I bought this in 2020 and it's already increased by 50% in 2021. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to separate those two, two things. So I needed a second part of the hobby that wasn't about money. Well, I'll get back to that, but it, it's it's really not about money. So um, because the, the the business was literally people send their lists in, we make an offer on the keys, everything else gets shipped. All kinds of weird stuff comes in those boxes, right? There's there's odds and ends. Like almost every collector has all their stuff laid out, and then there's one box at the back. There's like eight books that they don't know what to do with because they just don't fit, and they're usually foreign or weird editions or reprints or whatever. And so I just said to the shipping guy, um, when you receive collections and you find these weird books, just shove them in a box for me and I'll, I'll buy them from the business. I'll buy, I'll buy them from the business. And, and so I started a collection of uh, overseas comics, which are fascinating. There, is, there really isn't much information about them and it's very hard to price them because we don't know. Is, is, uh, is the Thai edition of Batman 423 rare book or are there millions of them we have no idea but it's cool to get one it's the todd mcfarlane cover but with a heart on the front with thai thai language in it and when i went on comics.org the grand comics database to see well what these are how how old they are or whatever there wasn't even a listing for it so i created one you know and and that's one of the ways i like to give back to the hobby it's when i find something that's new or you know unknown or whatever try and and update the grand comics database with that information show a scan of it and you know so people now can look it up um so i have i have quite an extensive collection of foreign comics which are weird and wonderful what are some of your favorites outside of the 423 um well i i collect british price variants first and cool. foremost I, I love the the silver age and bronze age british, british price variants the the silver age actually there's there's not that much information about them but they are the identical to to the us editions apart from the cover and there is speculation that they were printed before the U.S. editions because of the time it took to ship. Like we didn't have the the mass shipping lanes and stuff that we do now. The, the sort of container ships that we 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 take for granted now, we didn't have that. It was much more difficult to ship something from the states to the to Europe. It took months. And so the the U.K. price variants of Silver Age books have no month in in the slug. They just have the issue number, and then they have a British price. And some of them have British ads. And and it's just like, this is so cool. They are pretty rare. In England, we don't have, typically we don't have um, basements. We have attics. And things get put in the attic when you don't know where, where to keep something. You shove it in a box and you shove it in the attic. And they are not insulated um, above. They're insulated. So if you imagine like a, a steepled roof like this, mm -hmm. the insulation gets um, put on the floor of that space so when you go into the attic the insulation is underneath you so anything that's stored in the attic is exposed to a lot of temperature fluctuation and of course if there's any moisture or whatever there's you know so high grade british silver age comics are extremely scarce if you look at the um the census on any key issue any marvel mega key issue it's insane it's one or two percent um, of the total census are uk um, sometimes even less like i think af15 is like 45 or something that are certified british price variants 
compared to 5,000 certified U US ones. And it's just, it's like that across the board. Hulk one is extremely rare for a UK price variant. And so I started collecting them because I was like, well, they come in anyway. They come into the office almost for free. Like they're in the collection. Nobody really wants them um, because people in the US don't know what they are and they don't value them as highly. That's the other thing. They're really rare, but they're undervalued compared to the, U the US ed editions. And so I'm like, this is a no-brainer. One day, someone's going to figure out these are these are actually kind of should be more valuable than the US editions, not less. So yeah, so there's that. So what you asked me was, what's my favorite book apart from, you know, the Batman four twenty three? I've got some Norwegian Tom and Jerry comics, and they're <laughs> cool. still in. Cool. <laughs> you, you, you know, you hear this all the time from people who don't know what comics are. They're still in the plastic. Well, these are still in the plastic. And somebody in Norway thought it would be a really good idea to sell children a comic book that also had like a, a toy hammer. Uh, and so, you know, when you see Tom trying to hit Jerry with a hammer, let's, let's provide a hammer so that you can hit your sister or brother with it. I mean, that's a great idea, right? <laughs> I've got those. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of fun. Um, I have all kinds of, of weird reprints of, of Silver Age DC were actually sold in uh, the Pacific Islands with um, a special panel printed on the front cover, Pacific Islands edition in a different currency. I also have some uh, Australian stuff, that the Newton stuff that was unofficial reprints of the Marvel Silver Age stuff. They just printed them and didn't tell them they were doing it. <laughs> and some of those had stickers in the middle and those are worth more if the stickers are intact and stuff. It's just... It's a it's a huge minefield, and no one really knows what they're doing because it's all brand new. And CGC don't yeah. provide a lot of information on the website right. about it. That's so interesting. Yeah, so, because like in the US, I mean, like we we've, we've seen a lot of popularity with the, the Canadian price variants here, and you see those sell for a premium. And yeah. yeah so the, I mean, I don't know, Sean, have, have you have you heard about these British price variants before? I, this is the first time I'm really hearing about yeah. them. Yeah, I've, I've seen actually some German as well, for like Fantastic Four one. But I, they don't sell for very high prices. I've seen some on eBay in the past, and they, you know, a few hundred dollars for a Fantastic Four one German edition, and it's raw. Yeah, like you mentioned, Spencer, Canadian price variants—they're they're pretty well sought after. I think I think some of the the reprints, the European reprints, are much later. So the the German mm. Hulk one eighty one is from the nineties. Mm, so as you know, the, the latest books were looked after and bought in quantities by people who thought they'd be worth a lot of money one day, and. And so they aren't as uh, worth as much for that reason because they're, they're much later. But some some collectors like to put together, um, they'll choose one key issue and they'll try and buy the versions from all the different countries. Like there's an Australian New Mutants 98 that's very expensive. Um, and of course, now the newsstand variants are, are mm -hmm. picking up in popularity. Yep. The theory being that, that those were put on newsstands. They weren't just sent to comic book stores in boxes, um, which is kind of strange because we had a comic book store in Maine until quite recently and quite often the stuff that came from diamond wasn't nine eight shape when you opened the box like they were often <laughs> quite badly damaged uh, they will probably be like 9092 brand new in the box before you even put it on a new stand wow. so new stand variants are considered to be about as rare uh, like one or two percent of of the population but the interesting part about canadian price variants is that they were sold in the u.s um there are a few u.s cities that are uh, geographically more northern than oh. canadian cities uh, mm -hmm. so those those what they call um border cities the ones Actually, like, like, like buffalo maybe 
Yeah, I was thinking of, um, yeah, I'm trying to think now. Uh, Minneapolis is another one, I think, that okay. is more northern than most of the, the Canadian cities. And they have, um, yeah, uh, Detroit maybe as well. They had they had a distribution of those Canadian price variants in those cities. Yeah, if you started there, you could just say, okay, pick, pick a, an 80s key, like, I don't know, um, Secret Wars 8. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the Canadian price variant, you've got the newsstand variant, then there's definitely a German one of those. I've seen those around, and there must be others. I mean, there must be foreign editions of that, and and you could just say, okay, I'm going to pick Spidey keys from the '80s and just try and get one of each. I mean, uh, and then you get all the cover swipe stuff and the variants, and I'm like, yeah, it, it the hobby is suddenly branching out. It used to be very simple, and now it's got quite complicated, and it, it's a fascinating time to be a comic book collector investor dealer whatever you want to want to call yourself what are some like the dream comic books that you don't currently own that you'd like to have in your collection oh boy uh definitely anything with with batman pre-robin so all the detectives from 27 up will pretty much yeah i mean actually golden the first month i joined they had a detective 2765 universal in the auction the month i joined and Although I was part of Golden at that point, I still felt like I'm 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 an outsider pressing my my face against the windows a candy store, going, "Oh my god, I wish I could afford that. I wish I could afford that." Like, can we renegotiate the deal to buy my company for another couple of million so you can give me the the Detective Twenty Seven? Yeah, it sold for one point seven four million, which you know it seems like a it seems like a lot of money, but actually I think in ten years time that's going to seem like a real deal. Yeah, I think I think um, Detective Twenty Seven is so rarely offered on the market um, that yeah, I, it's always going to be a fantasy for me. I think unless something crazy happens and and I and I win the lottery or something. Um, so there's that. I'm not a big Superman fan, so I've never really hankered after owning an action one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some some other things I'd love to own. Um, some of the Mile High pedigree stuff just just to say they own it you know like, yeah the more you see those sale you know the more you see those sell the more you you realize that how exceptional that was and and actually i spent a lot of my early years in the industry reading uh chuck rosancy's blog where he describes how he found the collection and and the research he did on the previous owner who was in a care home at the time i think edgar church who then subsequently died and how bitter his family were about the whole thing and, and how they just wanted the comics out of there. And he paid, I think, oh, like no. nine, nine cents a book for them. Um, oh. yeah. <laughs> the good stuff the good stuff was in a closet and the the latest stuff was kind of stacked on the floor. And I, I, I watched quite a few of those storage um, locker people who, who like randomly yeah. buy storage lockers and then empty them and find all this treasure. Mm-hmm. And and it's typically that the the earlier stuff is at the back, and and as the person gets older and more frail, they can't organize it as well, so it just gets like thrown in. So that the the later stuff was stacked in the middle of the floor of the basement at Edgar Church's house, and and they said you've got to get all this out of the way first. So his truck would only fit half the comics in the first run, and he didn't sleep for the entire week before they said you can't come back till next next Saturday. And so he imagined in his head, like, oh, they're going to call somebody else or they're just going to throw them all away. And because all, all the good stuff was in the closet. 
but he couldn't get to it in time. He had to like load his truck up. It was snowy outside. He had them loaded into banana boxes. You imagine, and we still know there's like nine, four, nine, six, nine, eights have come out of that collection. Like almost, almost <laughs> typically. So imagine That's now, like uh, it's crazy. They weren't bagged and bought. I mean, it's just nuts. That collection was just nuts. And so just to say that I own, I don't know, it wouldn't have, uh, there's all this talk about that Wonder Woman one has vanished from that collection. No one knows where that is. Um, because in the early days he he couldn't afford to keep them. He had to he had to liquidate some. And the only way he, he could think of selling them was to advertise in, in comic books. The industry wasn't like it is now. It wasn't an organized industry. There weren't really conventions and it was very small, very small. So he he said, okay, well, if I can advertise in every Marvel comic that's published every month, I'll sell all this stuff over time but to finance that he had to sell a lot of the best stuff um for cash quickly and so there's guys who own all the all the really high-end batman one and and you know it's like and the, cap, yeah. the captain the captain america one had to be sold uh, anyway so fast forward and and as fast forward and um lots of people in the industry would make fun of him because it's like oh you sold all this stuff too quickly you're an idiot for not keeping it and this and that and you let you you're so lucky you, of course you're you're a successful dealer because this landed in your lap and so he's dealing with that and then and i think in the late 80s his accountant was also his bookkeeper and she'd been embezzling money from his business and he discovered this and the company would have folded so he had to sell the action one to ten that he'd been keeping back for himself I think he got like a 80 grand for them or something. And then, you know, subsequently someone's offered them a million dollars for this book. And then there's rumor that that's color touched. And you're just, it's just like, it's just like, just this is one collection. And so I became fascinated by pedigrees and pedigrees seem to be less frequent, but the promise collection that came up in the last like 18 months or so shows there probably still are pedigree collections out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just going to see less and less of them over time, I think, because more and more people are now educated about what comic books are worth that, that batman one that sold for the 9.4 that sold for 2.2 million back in 2021 i i think that could be one of the best deals I, I, that's 2. another 2. book that i i was like this like 2. i really want yeah, to come back yeah. To yeah it what feels like the business the business is always one step ahead of me you know like uh, i remember <laughs> the um do you know there's the, there's a there's a batman one the larson batman one that's an 8-0 because it's got foxing on it um that was that was turned into um i don't think they call them nfts but they're they're, they're like a, a fractional ownership thing where you can buy pieces. yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so that, that was on the market for eight hundred thousand in 2018 and at the time that was the highest grade batman one that was for sale and i looked at it and was like how many kidneys do i need see i have this many kids they have this many kidneys <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's logarithmic that's that's smart i didn't even think of that um i was thinking like yeah well if i could possibly buy it and by the time i was looking at all my investments and everything else i could possibly sell thinking maybe you know and then uh someone bought it and then it was back on the market for i think 1.4 million about six months later and then it went to for 1.8 million a couple of months after that and like uh, yeah i've missed that boat as well but that batman 194 that that, batman one is definitely on the list of books i would love to own um yeah i've got some pretty cool books i've got a hulk one hulk was always one of my favorite characters i've got a crime suspense 22 which i think is one of the best pre-code horror 
books with the, the those covers head. are insane oh those covers are insane yeah. <laughs> I know. oh man I know. it's like yeah you can see why the seduction of the innocent thing was so it, it landed perfectly at the right time uh but it's still crazy to think that that in the u.s there were book burnings like just just think about that for a second like never mind the censorship thing but the fact that some guy some german guy let's face it like said oh yes you should you should stop your children from reading all these books they're corrupting them and let's organize book burnings and, and big bonfires and throw all these comic books on there because they're, they're corrupting your children right? and people fell for that like that's yeah we've come a long way i hope back in 2017 i think 17 or 16 i had a chance to get a fantastic four one 5.0 for around seven thousand, i think it was around seven thousand dollars and i i had to liquidate most of my collection to do it and i chickened out and that was my that was my dream comic to own it didn't happen and man that that the all-time high for that one for that grade i think it was around fifty two thousand dollars. i think like until 2021 and it's come back yeah. down to about 25 now but man <laughs> what a regret on my end do you have any comics, any stories like that for yourself? Are there any comics that you passed up on that you wish you... <laughs> oh, the PTSD <laughs> way too is many. <laughs> way, too, way too many. No, I, I, where do I start? So when I was first, first collecting comics, and I, I mean when I say first collecting comics, not as a young child, but as a, as a young man, like as, as a teenager, uh, a friend of mine at work got me back into comic books and I started going to the UK conventions, which were not very frequent and not many, not many of them, but I went once in a while. I remember a Fantastic Four one on the wall. I can't tell you if it was a US or a UK one, but it was 800 pounds, which is about, I don't know, 1500 bucks, something like that at the time, which was 1990. That was, that was quite a lot of money. Yeah. And while I could have afforded it, I was like, I had that collector mindset, which I think is something that, that maybe your audience should be careful of. I published an article called The Amazing Spider Math. And so I took the ASM1 and I, I got rid of the word man and put math there. And I said, if you stop thinking like a collector and start thinking like, uh, not an investor exactly, but but think about the financial Im impact of your, your choices on your collection. Let's, let's, not, let's not call it an investment. Let's just say you're a collector. Simple as that. You want to run a Spider-Man from one to, let's say, 300. Well, you should buy the number one first, even if you have to finance it. Because by the time you fill two long boxes with the other issues and you get to like number 50 and you start working backwards, all the stuff from the number one up would have appreciated so much that it's going to cost True. you three times as much to own it, by which time you probably can't even justify it. I mean, you talk about the FF1 prices. I mean, that was an undervalued book for sure. Spider-Man 1 has never really been undervalued like, relative to FF1. But back when I wrote that article, a 6.0 was about 10 grand. And I think those things peaked at 30, 35, and maybe they've come down a bit since then. But so if you just followed my advice and borrowed the 10 grand at, say, 4%, paid it off over three years, and then started adding two, three, four, five, six, and gone the other way around, instead of sticking the cheap stuff at the back of a box and working forwards you'd be quids in because you know, your collection would be worth three times as much and you'd have right. done the hard bit first. It's like, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like any, any job, like you go to work and there's always this, this one thing that, that on your desk that you really can't face. And the longer you leave it, the more difficult it gets. Like there's this horrible phone call you have to make or to a client or something or, or this paperwork you just don't like to do. 
and it just gets heavier and heavier in your mind the longer you leave it well yeah. it's kind of that the longer you leave it to buy that number one issue the worse it's going to be when you actually come to do it the more it's going to hurt and I, and I think that's that's kind of like a lesson for life too but yeah i i did buy the fantastic four number one that i dreamed of in 2020 but i i flipped it for 10k profit in 2021 and i i kind of look back on that and go oh, that was that was kind of like uh i sold out a little bit there um, <laughs> but yes so that ff1 from 1990 that that's one that stays with me uh but sean and i um back when we started working together sean goodrich and i we we uh in 2015 we were literally living month to month so we'd buy a collection let's say it was 30 grand and then it would cost us another 10 in fees to just get it certified so that's 40 grand that's tied up so all that all those books have gone to cgc and and the big keys come back the fastest of course but we need our money out because it's all, by then we have another collection on our desk that we want to buy for another 30 40 50, 60 grand we, the only place to get that money is from the keys that have already come back. So at one point we got ahead of ourselves and we, we've got momentum and it gets to the point where instead of, Oh my God, you just like checking the, the mailbox to get your, your the, the keys back every day because you, you need to sell them to finance stuff. You actually got a bit of money behind you and you've got momentum. So you've got economy or value tier books coming back from a year ago, every week that are kind of like, great you know gravy on collections that you bought a year ago mm-hmm. and they're financing the next deal instead of you just like living hand to mouth and so i said to him well do we really need to sell all these big keys like can we keep some of them and i said it'd be like a, a sort of like a 401k and so we bought this giant fireproof safe like something from a wild west movie with a big wheel on it <laughs> <laughs> and we, we called it the vault and so once in a while when we could afford to, we would keep uh, one or two keys from a collection and put them in the vault and we keep a spreadsheet to sort of like see where we're at with, with our investments. So, so we have a Superman one that's a 1.5 that was horribly restored when we bought it. It was, it was part of a collection in Minneapolis and the rest of the collection was certified. This one was not, presumably because someone either bought it restored in a, in a holder and just cracked it because it was a really bad copy or just never bothered to get it certified because it was clearly, it had paint on it. Like some kid had got a brush and painted on it. And I said to Sean, like we paid 20 grand for it, knowing it was restored. And we said to the owner, look, we'll set this one aside. We'll do a deal for everything else. And then we'll talk about that last book at the end. Here are comps for restored copies of Superman one in this condition that at the time, I think was about 30,000. I said, we'll give you 70% of retail, which was 20 grand roughly. Then we sent it off to get the restoration removed. And we were pretty confident it was going to be possible because it was just paint. We couldn't see any um, trimming or, or any any pieces out or anything. It was just someone had just painted it. I was like, for sure someone could can remove that, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it got a universal 1.5. But it looked nice. like worms. It looked like worms had eaten the cover. Like I guess that's why the kid painted over it because I guess insects got to it or something. There were like these weird like tracks through the cover. It's kind of a it's kind of a little ugly looking 1.5. But now that thing is worth I don't know 200 plus thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, a 0.5 restored recently sold for close to 100, 80 to 100. There's a private sale. Right. But that's man it that's that's incredible wow that's awesome <laughs> 1.5 wow yeah and we also had we just sold up we had a, an all-american uh 16 first greenlands and 
uh, also 1.5. Most of our Golden Age keys ended up being 1.5, 1.820. I think we have a Detective 35. So so to answer your original question, yes, there's plenty of books we've let go that I wish I had back, but we stopped the rot by having our little vault of books. And and so, you know, I think we have uh, five AF-15s and four ASM-1s and, uh, you know, we have Journey 83 and Hulk 1 and two or three Hulk 181s and like, we didn't sell everything is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Chuck Rosansky would have done the same if, you know, he had the vision to realize that one day these mile high books are going to be worth millions. I'm sure he would have done exactly <laughs> yeah. the same, but you can't, you can only, you can only be wise in hindsight. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I'll answer that question slightly different because it ends up being always, we end up talking about money as a dealer. You always end up talking about money. So we, we got an action seven, a pop Dillinger. Do you know? Do you know about the story? Hollinger, Pop Hollinger, not Dillinger. Pop Hollinger was this this dime store owner, and kids for some reason would take their books to him, and he would preserve them by by removing the staples, um, gluing brown paper to the edges of the, of the comic so the edges wouldn't get damaged, and then sewing them closed. Uh, and so they're called rebuilds. Pop Hollinger rebuilds. And they come up quite often. Like once in a while, you see one that has like this weird, like strip of like a half inch of brown paper down the, mm -hmm. the right hand edge. Sometimes they have the staples, sometimes they don't. Anyway, so we we bought a collection in Canada, which most of the keys were like that. They they had this brown stuff on. We didn't know what they were at the time. And the Action Seven got all that removed and, and got a two O Universal. Um, I wish we hadn't sold that because that's kind of like the poor man's Action One, second Superman cover. It's a very cool cover too. Like he's kind of hovering over over Metropolis, I guess. And uh, yeah, no, that's that's a really cool book. I wish we still had. Not because of the value, just because it's cool. Um, what else? There are there are a bunch. Like I would say, all the EC pre-code horror stuff. You know, like we didn't need the money that badly. We never had high grade ones, but I think ho holding a collection of those would be really really cool. Um, what have we sold? I, I, I've got a collection of Scooby Doo comics. Oh, cool! Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think um, some of the stuff that's undervalued that gets a bit overlooked, things like the first appearance of the Flynn stars, uh, which is Dell Giant Forty Eight, I think. Things like that, Top Cat Number One, thing, weird stuff like Barbie and Ken Number One, and things, things that people associate with their childhood beyond comics. Yeah, I think are undervalued still in this market. And so I like to collect that. I've got, yeah, the Scooby-Doo, I've got almost a full run of the original gold key Scooby-Doo. Um, we bought that by accident. That came in a collection. It was like, honestly, you look at the Marvel, you look at the DC, you scan for other stuff, and then you overlook things like the the gold key because they're usually not worth anything. And there was a full run of Scooby-Doo in this collection. Of gold, uh, you know, it came in and we got them basically for free. And I, I bought them from Sean and... Yeah, they've they've done pretty well. I think uh, Scooby Doo one is now like ten grand in nine two or nine four. Or wow! There are also um, you know about the price variance, the um, the test market price variance, thirty and thirty five cent Marvel ones. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. so so there's actually the Scooby Doo one test test variant. Only one has ever sold on the open market, and it it was a one zero, and it sold for I think a thousand dollars or something crazy because they're just so rare. They those test variants, apart from Star Wars, are are which are 
also rare, but there are many more. For some reason, there are many more of those. I think because Star Wars was such a cultural phenomenon that people kept those comics more frequently, maybe. Mm. But, you know, like a Flintstones one or a Scooby-Doo one. Eternals one is another example. Eternals one. Like a 35 yeah, Eternals, Eternals one is a 30 cent variant. Yeah, but those 30 cent variants aren't as valuable because they're, I don't know, they're, they're more common. They show up more often. And and I think because partly because they look different, right? So people say, oh, that's got like a starburst on the front cover instead of a, a circle or a square. What's that? Uh, so people remember that. They're like, oh, that looks different. And it really does. And so the 35 cent ones look exactly like the 30 cent ones, except they have a five instead of a zero. Uh, it, you know, Sean's got a, a philosophy about collecting, which is buy something or collect something that you don't see often enough. So it's a challenge to find it. But when you do find it, you can afford it. Because what's the point really of me saying, oh, I want to have a Detective 27? Well, you know, join the queue of people that want a Detective 27. <laughs> and I won't be able to afford one even if one does show up. So, you know, it's a bit pointless to want one of those. But, you know, Scooby-Doo 1990s price variant will probably cost me $5 if I ever find it. There's the thrill of the chase, but it's not going to bankrupt me when I do find it. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are some cool books. I mean, we've we've bought some amazing golden age collections of of, of crime and horror, and, and I wish we kept some of those because you just don't see them very often. Toby Press stuff from 1952, and yeah, it's just rare. So, are there any other comics or collectibles that are going on auction soon on Golden that you'd like to highlight, um, just for our audience, in, in case you want to, you know, promote them? Or just like any news about the company you'd like to share? Really, just any final thoughts? Yeah, there's there's a couple. Um, we we have um, the first elite comic sale that Sean Goodrich and I are, are responsible for putting together launches on Valentine's Day, which yeah, a lot of love to go around. Um, <laughs> we have some pretty incredible books in there. There's a Captain America one. All almost all the Silver Age keys are represented there in nice grades. X Men one, FF one. Uh, AF15, like, oh, like you could literally round off a whole grail collection on that one sale. Also, we, we like to mix it up. So we've got some high grade Bronze Age stuff like that. So um, while they may not be worth the earth, they're not, not worth anywhere near as much as an AF15. It's hard to find those those Marvel 20 centers in, in really high grade. They're really tough. So that, we consider those books to be elite worthy. Um, but if you go to golden.co and, and look at the auction, actually, I can say .com now because we just bought the .com. So you can go to golden.com. Oh, you'll nice. find the economic auction. Yeah. Somebody made some good money on that. So I keep forgetting to say that. I don't need to say golden.co anymore. It's golden.com. So you can go to golden.com and check out the Illy auction. And there's, there's I think, a, a few dozen really amazing books in there so i wouldn't want to highlight anyone in particular but personally i think a cap one is a grail for most people just to own the first appearance of captain america it's got such a, an iconic cover that's very cool uh, i would like to talk about one service that we've just launched which is so new that it's not even on the website yet and it's called pressing with golden if you're a collector or a, even a dealer who has acquired some books they need to be pressed before they're graded Currently, you're looking at a turnaround time in the market of, of several months, like eight, six to eight months, yeah. just to get them pressed. But you have to pay for the service on day one. So you're, pressing, you're paying for the pressing and grading on day one, and you could be looking at up to two years to get your books in your hands. That's a lot of money to lay out that far in advance. So pressing with Golden, we will turn around your book in seven days, or we press within seven business days by our staff. We've been pressing for years. We're, we're experts at it. We will 
charge you zero upfront for the pressing and the grading. So if you are a dealer, let's say you're a dealer, like we used to have the same problem, as I told you earlier, when Sean and I started out, we'd have money in a collection and we couldn't afford to buy the next collection because the money was tied up in the grading fees and the pressing fees. So if you're a dealer, this makes a big difference. You could have uh, two, three, four thousand dollars extra cash in your pocket if you use grading, uh, pressing with Golden, uh, because you aren't waiting a year to get that money back. You don't need to spend any of it because you don't pay anything until the item sold by Golden. So uh, it frees up a lot of, of cash flow for dealers and even collectors. Like it can be a big difference. Like, some people can go, I'd love to have my uh, ASM 300 pressed and graded. I just can't afford it. Well, as long as you're prepared to sell it with Golden, we'll do all that for you for free up front. So it all gets paid at the back end. So that's that's a new service. And I'm really excited about that. Everyone I've spoken to about it is excited about it. So um, pressing with Golden is going to be a thing. Yeah, it's been a blast to see the collectible space grow over the past just couple of years. And especially with the community that we connect with, with the VV community, a lot of them started with digital collectibles first. And now they're getting more involved in the physical space, which is really exciting to see. 